you know, you get to a certain age and you don't want to acknowledge your ignorance. Like you really don't. You're like, man, I should know what a 401k is, but I just don't like, and you don't want to ask anybody. And so you just sort of like, well, I hope this doesn't affect me. And then. Welcome to the Fi show where you get a behind the scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host. Cody and Justin. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. Before we dive in too deep, let's check in with the co-host. Cody, how's it going? Hey, what's going on, Justin? Just got back from yet another awesome ski weekend, went up to Smuggler's Notch in Vermont, and I was expecting ice. Usually, there's ice there every year, and I was pleasantly surprised. It's nice and powdery. After getting back from Colorado, I had, honestly, low hopes for the Northeast, but the Northeast came out strong and it's kind of getting warm up here. I know I don't know if you've been checking the weather, but it's going to be in the 50s next week. I'm kind of nervous that there's not going to be much skiing left after this next couple of warm weeks happen. So I'm glad to get this last one in. I am going on one more little ski trip next weekend, but who knows if the snow is going to be around. What's going on in your life, man? Well, first of all, I'm certainly jealous of all the skiing you're getting in, but I'm just under three weeks away from my own little five-day stint at Vail. So hoping the, the snow uh, holds out for us and we get some good days in. Um but yeah, for me, this weekend was a little less adventurous on the travel sector. But uh, as I was doing my expense tracking that I do every month, as you know, I got to looking at a couple of things and thought there's a couple of neat things I could kind of highlight uh, from a flipping perspective. So with work, I won this award that was kind of like an annual award for last year. And at first, my boss was like, yeah, you're going to get this like monetary reward with it too. And I got excited and I ordered myself this uh, $500 pizza oven because I've been getting real into to making pizzas. And I was pumped because I'm like, you know, they said it was going to be more than $500. Like, we're good. This is going to cancel that out. Then I find out it's actually a catalog and you get to pick an item. And these items are worth around $500. And I was like, oh, no. But instead of just picking, you know, some random watch or something that I actually didn't need, what I did is I quickly went and looked at some different websites where you can uh, flip gift cards. And I just typed in each brand of gift card to figure out which one had the, you know, the highest exchange rate. So I found one that was $500 that they would instantly give me $425 for. So I selected that one, flipped it, turned it into 425 cash. And that brought the cost of my pizza oven down to actually ended up being about 60 bucks out of pocket. And then I did something similar with our furniture. Uh, I have to give Leslie credit. She actually handled most of the postings, but we had like a weight bar some random weights that we got off the corner. Actually, when we were in Boston, on the, right before we moved, we threw it in the U-Haul. Two random chairs that were left behind here and a little bench that was uh, somebody was going to throw away that I had kind of redone. And we were able to sell all that and make enough money plus some to buy uh, a nice set of outdoor furniture that we just put on our patio, like some brand new stuff. So I think it's just a quick reminder that there's always money out there. There's always interesting ways to either lower your expenses or get that, you know, that new thing you've had your eyes on. There's a, there's always a way to earn it. So now you've got the update from us. And before we bring in our guests for today, keeping track of your net worth is one of the most important things you can do on your journey to financial independence. If you don't have an idea of what your net worth is, there's no way that you can keep your quote unquote score. One of our favorite tools to keep this score is called personal capital. If you haven't already started using it, it's an online software that basically compiles all of your data, it crunches all your assets, all your liabilities, and spits out a net worth number and allows you to track it day by day, month by month. Yeah, Cody, one of the big things that hold people back when they're doing activities like tracking their expenses or tracking their net worth 
is just they look at it as a big burden and this allows you to go in with one username and one password and access as many financial accounts as you have these can be loans these can be 401ks these can be hsas bank accounts credit cards they're all linked there the other thing i really like about personal capital is it's very investing focused so you can go in there and look at your allocation across your entire portfolio so you don't just look at your allocation in one type of account but your allocation as a person completely and if you want to use the same tool that me and Cody use to track our net worth, which is completely free, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash PC. That's thefyshow.com slash PC. So today on the podcast, we are sticking with our basically how you teach young adults or you know people in their teens, these concepts of money, these concepts of financial independence. And we thought there was no better person to bring on than Jake. Jake, like Dan, we had on last week, Dan Sheeks of Sheeks Freaks. Jake is a high school teacher. And he was a high school teacher whose passion has been teaching personal finance to kids for a while. Eventually, he saw a need in the market for a resource that he could give people in his community, in his class. And so he ended up writing this book, How to Adult. It's more of a general personal finance book. The way he explains it is like a pocket guide. So you carry this around. You're a young adult. You're just getting into the workforce or you're someone in high school and you want to quickly reference what's the difference between a Roth and a traditional IRA or you know, what's a 401k or you know how does compound interest work? All the basics of money that most people don't get. And this is an awesome just little pocket guide you can keep around. It's an awesome resource for teachers, for parents, anyone who has someone in that age range who they want to teach a little bit more about personal finance. And obviously, like, you know, younger people, they've got the internet, they've got their smartphone, but I think to have a resource like this to where you can quickly go to it, it's already synthesized for you, you're not spending a bunch of time, because if it's a lot of effort, if there's a high bar of effort, then a lot of times, you know, as humans, we'll just say, uh, you know, we'll just take a guess at it. I also think that it was awesome that Jake is really looking to get this book in as many hands as possible. We're excited for you to hear all of Jake's tips today for educating those younger folks in your life. And if you want to step back and look at those show notes and see some of those links, you can do that at thefyshow.com slash Jake. That's thefyshow.com slash Jake. Yeah, um, I think it started like a lot of people sort of through mistakes, unfortunately. That's the unfortunate truth about so many people in uh, financial awareness or financial literacy. You eventually get yourself backed into a corner and I'm no different. So going way back, I'm from a very rural, like small town. I definitely didn't have any formal classes, no formal education in terms of you know finance, definitely no classes like that. Uh, I went to college and took out loans. I honestly, I didn't even know how many or how much I took out or how many loans I had. And then um, at about 26 years old, I'm like, I need to... I need to get this together. You know, I need to actually take control of this. It started kind of slow. And I think like a lot of people, I felt perhaps a little bit, you know, humiliated or, you know, a little bit embarrassed about, man, I should know this stuff. I should have taken control. I should have taken responsibility of this. And I started reading, you know, just every resource I can get my hands on. And I learned, you know, that's a pretty common feeling to have. Like a lot of people have been in that same situation, which at least provided a little bit of comfort to me. So I started reading, just going through everything I possibly could. And uh, pretty quickly, like within, you know, after I just devoured everything I could get my hands on, I started putting some of these plans into action. And pretty quickly, you'd see a marked difference in, you know, my finances and sort of the trajectory that I was on. My main role is I'm a teacher. And that sort of inspired me to this theme that I kept running into again and again, no matter what I read was a time. If you can really take advantage of time, take advantage of compounding interest, you know, avoiding these mistakes. And I thought, man, I really wish, you know, 26 is not a bad time to learn this. But again, like 
effectively now is the best time to learn it. But if you can really learn when you're young, like really take advantage of it. And so uh, that was sort of the genesis of my getting involved in finance and more importantly, my, my desire to teach others about it. So obviously through this teaching, your, your hope is that you're going to kind of cut people off before they ever have to run into a wall or like feel the way you felt. But I'm always love digging into kind of what flipped that switch, like what made you change? I know you said you're kind of sitting there looking there, maybe a little disappointed in yourself, but was there a mentor? Was there something that happened that really made you feel like you hit bottom? Was what was there anything that really just said, hey, I'm going to make a change today. I'm going to start picking up these books and I'm going to make a difference. Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's sort of a combination of things being in sort of I guess financial was very stagnant for a long time not making a lot of progress not seeing my debt go down for me because I do consider myself a bit of you know an academic I've always uh, went to college I have a couple master's degrees but when I actually started trying to you know actually actively learn this stuff I realized it's not that difficult it's really not that difficult and once I understood that this endeavor is not insurmountable, that it's not impossible. Um, and once I could actually see a couple, you know, positive steps in the right direction, that really sort of lit a fire in me like, all right, like I can really do this. So there isn't a one individual moment where like I need to turn my life around. I didn't have like a rock bottom moment, luckily. But I did sort of have a real fire once I realized like, oh, like these things can really make significant changes. And so for me, I just sort of like got hungry once I realized, oh, my debt's going down faster than it ever has before. And, you know, my net worth is actually going in the positive direction. So I really dove in once I could start seeing those sort of tangible steps. That's when I really, I guess, you know, got the bug, if you will. And so kind of just working with your timeline here. So when you're 26, how much later is it when you become the high school teacher and you start getting really involved teaching other people about personal finance and these sorts of subjects? I've been a teacher since I was 21, actually. So as, oh, soon, wow. as, I, as soon as I graduated college, uh, I immediately went overseas teaching here. So I'd already been teaching for a while. And at this point, I'd been teaching at the high school I'm still at for just, you know, it's my first or second year. So it's early. And um, I'm only teaching, I'm teaching English literature at that point. And as I start reading these books, so about 26, that's when I, like I said, I kept going over that theme, you know, back to it, like time, time. And I'm sort of kicking myself. And again, a lot of people who don't, really take control of their finances, you know, maybe they're like 30, 40, even 50, they might hear 26 and be like, oh, you're lucky. But still, like when you're reading, when I was 26, I was still like, it'd be a lot better if I learned this earlier. And so this theme kept sort of, you know, coming back. And I thought, I can actually do something about this. I'm already a teacher at this school. Maybe I can propose a class. And fortunately, I, I you know, I work at a school with uh, administration that's very supportive of that. And I sort of pitched the idea and, uh, you know, told them my own story and what I want the class to be. And they said, yeah, they gave me a green light. And uh, so the very next year, I sort of uh, was, I already had an idea for a curriculum I want to develop. And of course, you know, there's a wealth of resources on the internet. And so that's how I brought it to life, actually. So it wasn't long after. It was probably, you know, 26, I hit my own financial renaissance if you will and so i hit that i really get everything down as far as my own knowledge and really by the next year i'd introduce the course to my students so obviously you had been teaching for a while but you had been teaching personal finance for very long so this is kind of a new thing for you curious because i think a lot of times we can learn just as much from our failures as we can the successes was there something that you thought man this is going to resonate with kids this is really going to work when you went to start trying to teach personal finance to kids that actually didn't resonate maybe something people could learn from you know parents in the house like maybe this is not a good way to go about it yeah that's a great question so i really think one of 
the greatest benefits are like uh, the feature of my book that I think works is that it's relatable. And so this is a great question because I started teaching personal finance and it was just boring. Like a lot of the resources out there, you really have sort of two ends of the spectrum. You either have very academic textbook heavy. That's like, you're not going to get a kid to walk in and be like, yeah, sign me up for that. And then on the other end, you have almost like patronizing or just like very elementary and it's not really, it's, it's nothing that the students can really build off of. So in my class, I realized I'm going to have to start coming up with sort of my own materials and my own examples. And really what I've learned teaching personal finance is so unique and the huge advantage, like an incredible advantage of teaching personal finance is you will never have a student in your class and we've all been in the situation you're listening or you're studying a Shakespearean sonnet and you're like, when am I going to use this? Like, why am I here? Why am I in this classroom right now? Like, why am I learning this? And you will never have that in financial literacy or, you know, personal finance. You'll never have that. So I really leaned into that. So instead of, you know, if I'm teaching index funds, I'm not just going to read you the Investopedia definition of this thing. I'm going to tell you specifically, all right, if you use index funds, here's what you can rely on. Historically, these are the, like the interest rates or the ROI that you can expect. And really, I can show students, all right, you know, if you're putting in $200 a month, like what can it give you? You know, if you start when you're 18, you could literally be a millionaire from this. And then they're like, you know, actually looking at these figures and they're, it's very relatable, you know, so that they are really connected to it. And you can give them tangible numbers like, hey, do you want to be a millionaire? Like, yeah, of course I'm going to be a millionaire. And for so many students, I had the same idea when I was younger. Like millionaires are, you know, they drive the flashiest cars. You have to have the coolest stuff. You've got, uh, you have a job that pays, you know, crazy amounts of money. And this is not the case. Like, and I, I don't want to say creating financial independence or wealth is easy, but if you're organized and you understand this stuff when you're young, if you have a game plan, it's really not that hard. Like it's pretty doable, especially if you understand that, you know, building wealth is sort of long-term. But again, yeah, so there were certainly failures in the classroom initially. And I think the biggest thing was just making it, making it interesting, making it approachable, and just letting the students know, like, this is, you're knocking on the door of this reality. You know, this isn't something far-fetched. This isn't something abstract. Like, you're right here. And my students, they really took to that. Like, when I show them, I mean, simple stuff, like a compound interest calculator. And I'll, okay, if you're 21, you get your first job, you're making 65 grand a year, let's put it in. With an eight percent ROI, uh, if you invest for you know forty five years, how much will you have? And it will blow their minds. Like no way! And then they're like, "All right, I'm in. Like sign me up. Yeah, tell me exactly what I need to do. Like tell me how I get there. It doesn't sound that hard." And so then they sort of get fired up. Yeah. So the long sort of roundabout answer is make it fun. You know, make it real. And you know, it goes uh, both ways. You can show them the the virtues and the beauty of finance, but then there are plenty of statistics you can show them that will bum them out you know like there's it's not hard to uh, show them you know average saving rates like the percentage of americans who have even ten thousand dollars saved for retirement you know that's a quick way to put some fear into the hearts of my students they're they're motivated once you show them stuff like that so i mean you're showing them all this stuff but at this point i mean i guess it still is an abstraction i'm not trying to take away from what you're doing at all but mm -hmm. What kind of practical use do you, you know, make them, not, not make them do, but what kind of practical applications do you give them? Do you challenge them to, I don't know if they're 18 yet, but hey, open an IRA or hey, start this account. Hey, start investing with Robinhood. Like, do you actually give them tangible action steps so they get a little more excited about it? Or is it mostly just conceptual stuff? No, I mean, uh, 
Exactly what you just said. So I have students who, are, to be in my class, you have to be a junior or senior. So I do have some students who are 18. Um, and I do have students who are, a lot of my students actually have part-time jobs. And that's almost always what they want to know. Like if I have some extra money, what should I do with it? But for as far as like practical application, I had a student this year because I taught index funds and uh, IRAs and Roth versus traditional in the first semester. And she came in in November and she's like, hey, I just put 250 bucks into a Roth IRA. I've got a mutual fund. And I was like, yes, <laughs> that is exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, so, of course, you, you know, you can't mandate that. That can't be an assignment. <laughs> you have to go do this. But again, there are so many great resources that it's like there's one like how the market works is great. You know, it's bit and it you get ten thousand dollars of you know fake money and then you can invest in whatever you want. And the interface actually looks pretty similar to a lot of like brokerage accounts. You know, it's got every almost all the features. So I do that with students who don't either don't have money or don't have you know they don't have to meet the requirements to invest in or fund certain accounts right now. But I definitely have had students who that's more of a sort of like stay after class like hey. Uh, Mr. Coos, I got a question for you. You know, my grandparents gave me a thousand bucks and I sure do like those numbers you're putting up with the compound interest calculator. Like, how can we get there? So there is stuff like that. And then I also have students who will sort of show me their budget and be like, what do you think I should do with this? But really through the course, it's great because a lot of times once we get to that section, give my students a shout out. They're incredible and uh, they all know each other really well. So they're the volunteer be like, Hey, I got my paycheck last week. Here's my budget. And then like, we'll just tear it up as a class. You know, it's like, all right, you're doing really well. Or be like, no, what are you doing? Like, this is, this is not what you want. So that's about as uh, applicable as far as like real life application we get in the classroom. Of course, I'd like to have more, but with you know, 17 year olds, 18 year olds, only so much you can do. Now, I'm not sure exactly what the demographics are of your school. Like, you know, if if ever if it's just a public school or if like if there's a lot of different maybe income ranges that the households that they're coming from. But have you noticed any correlation between how into this class that kids were based on maybe the uh, financial upbringing that they had or how wealthy their parents were or maybe struggles they seen their parents have? Uh, that's also a great question. So I uh, I teach at. It's so it's an all-girl Catholic high school. It's a private school, and uh, I think most people, when they hear that, they're like, "All right, this is probably like a very affluent." And it is. I mean, it's it's definitely you know I would say above average as far as you know the parents' incomes. But we also have plenty of students who are here on scholarship, and so there is a pretty you know there's a wide range of those students. But to answer your question, it's sort of a mixed bag. So on one hand, you know I don't know everybody's financial situation. Sometimes I do. You know I have a pretty good idea. But certainly there's more of a, I don't know if there's more of an interest, but there's certainly more of an eagerness from the students who I know are not near, you know, the top of the tax bracket, you know, the highest earners. And there is sort of a, I can really feel like sort of a fire, like, oh yeah, I want to get there. Like, that's what I want. And, uh, and then I've, you know, I've also had the other side where it's like, like any class, you know, I've had students like, eh, I don't feel like I really need to know this. (laughs) I think I'm going to be all right. But fortunate for me, that's that's very rare. But you know, I've also had students who I know are from families that are doing really well, and they're still like really hungry. You know, I think you're just gonna come across those people who are like, yeah, I want to maximize, you know, my potential, my efficiency, and you know, uh, my time and my money. So I, I don't know if I've seen any constant or remarkable trends in that sense, but for the most part, I really have to say I've been surprised with how interested my students are. You know, I came into the first year, I was like, 
I don't know how popular this class is even going to be. And we were a small school anyway. I think I had like nine kids sign up. But then like after that first semester, every student was like, you got to take this class. And more importantly, it's the, I get so many like emails and just like fist bumps from parents. Like, thank you. <laughs> like, I'm so glad that somebody's teaching my kid this. I really appreciate it. Uh, and now the class is really popular. And we've had to sort of, we might have to expand it into like two sections at this point. It's probably like my biggest class I have. So I think overall, there's a, for lack of a better term, there's a market there. I think people want to learn this. It's just the great riddle with especially young adults is like, how do we, what's the best resource to do this? And how do we get this sort of, you know, to as many people as possible? Well, I was going to say when you were talking back a couple of minutes ago, I'm jealous. Like you're teaching traditional versus Roth in high school. Like to even think that that would be a topic discussed in a high school class is just mind boggling to me. I barely learned, you know, I had like the personal finance class that was required and it was like balancing a checkbook. It's like, really? <laughs> like No one's doing that in 2020, but I kind of want to pull from this quote. Now, I've read an article, uh, I think it's from Newsbreak that you were interviewed in. And you said that there's a lack of actual teaching that goes on. And this was about a question on personal finance teaching in high schools. And you just kind of alluded to it. Like there is a huge market there. Obviously, you're doing everything you can, Jake, at your school. You have multiple sessions going on. Students are raving about it. But how can, you know, this is for the teachers listening, parents. How can we kind of start to, you know, get legs on this as a, whether it's a statewide, national movement? Like, is there some kind of grassroots thing that's coming up and some network or, you know, some some way where you can get this to way more people than just the kids who are interested in your high school? Yeah, I mean, that is the ultimate question. I mean, that is the billion dollar question for, you know, financial education. I think there are a lot of problems that we have to hurdle here, but a lot of it I really think is the the content. I think there's a real gap between, and don't get me wrong, I think if you were to go on the internet, there is a resource literally for everything. That's a fantastic resource. There's a fantastic resource to teach, let's say, traditional versus Roth, but there is not one place that has all of it, basically. And I think that's a really large chore to ask of a young adult, especially like a high school student, college student, you know, to go search all this stuff on their own. So I think sort of combining forces and really figuring out or developing a curriculum that's palatable to young adults. That's the other thing. I think there are a lot of companies, there are a lot, there's a lot of efforts, like mainly by like, let's say financial institutions, financial companies that can write great stuff for, let's say, 25 to 30-year-olds or 40-year-olds, you know, 50-year-olds, that's really easy to understand. Uh, because if you're 30, you don't need to be entertained while you're reading. You're usually in panic mode at that point, right? Like you really need this information, so you already have the motivation. But for young adults, I think you really have to walk that line between I need to keep their attention, I need to make this palatable. Of course, cover all the details or all the stuff that's still important for the students. So while you were talking there, it kind of reminded me of something that Grant Sabatier, the guy we mm-hmm. visited your class. It was awesome. But something he's mentioned before, and I think he mentioned in the talk here is how, you know, a lot of the people that are putting out this content are the big companies, the billion dollar companies who make so much money on students getting into credit card debt, students getting student loans, like that's their agenda. They make so much money on that. And they're the ones pushing a lot of this financial information. Of course, you could come across a blogger with a good heart who has awesome info, but they don't have the marketing dollars that these huge corporations have. So I mean, from a teacher's standpoint, how do you kind of combat this problem? And, you know, what do we have as normal people to kind of, I guess, coerce kids to not read into this stuff that may be steering them in the wrong direction? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question in general. I mean, not only to the specific, you know, large companies that, yeah, it's totally pandering, you know, like you're ripping people off on one hand and then you throw out a couple really cute articles about how to, you know, stay out of debt and stuff like that. Just sort of, so to the point of, 
keeping students away from, I guess, bad information in general. I think especially right now, like if you go on, my students will come in and be like, oh, I found this great YouTube video about this guy who makes $12,000 a month in passive income. And he says, I can do it too. And I'm like, no, you really can't. Or at least you probably can't. Like it's very unlike, does that sound realistic to you? So I think sort of cutting through and finding a reputable, solid information is a real chore uh, for anybody, especially right now. You know, there's so much, so many speculative tactics in general. I mean, you look at like Bitcoin, you look at the market in general. And I'm not saying any of those things are, I mean, they're going to pop or anything, but there's a lot of money in them right now. They're riding pretty high. And, you know, historically those things, uh, as I say, trees don't grow to the sky. So there's definitely a concern to teach students this as to your question, like, how do you stop? students from falling for these things i really think it's starting at a younger level you know starting when you're younger and uh like my students understand now even after so my semester is a year-long course even after a semester like if you want to be a millionaire you know you need to plan for this is an endeavor it's like a very long process to get there you don't do it overnight if you want to do it overnight you're gonna to have to take incredible risk you know it just doesn't happen so and more than anything, if you just understand how wealth is built, you know, compounding interests, like you need time for that to compound. And if you don't have sort of these tools in your toolkit already, yeah, basically any, any article you come across that says, here's what you need to do, you're going to be excited about it, especially if that article says like, hey, let's make a bunch of money quick or there's somebody on their Instagram with a Lamborghini and, you know, flaunting all their cash. Like that's obviously very attractive to anybody, but especially attractive to young people. But again, I think it all goes back to just, we need to teach this at a younger age and we need to make it. You're right. So that thing you said about your high school class was, you know, just like very elementary, like here's how to open up a checking account. Like we, we need to aim higher than that. Like, I think that's really what it comes down to. We need to aim higher than that, but we need to make it approachable. That's basically sort of my thesis throughout this whole thing. We need to really provide a firm foundation. You know, there's a lot of books out there that keep it abstract, and they love to think of the examples of, like, don't spend $5 at Starbucks, and you could save a couple dollars every day. It's like, okay, that's true, but that's not – you're not set for life once you learn that. Like, that's, that's not going to be the entire foundation. So we need to have a much higher goal than just uh, you know how to open a checking and savings account, but we need to really make a concerted effort to put this information into a style and a format that students are going to be able to understand. So you've been highlighting kind of a lot of the deficiencies that we have and the, the information that's out there, your kind of opinions on it. And you also alluded to a book that's coming out. I think maybe this is a good opportunity for you to talk about what led you to want to write a book. Maybe what's the overarching theme of the book, the target, things like that. I think after my third year teaching my class, and again, at this point, Justin, I've already gone through my blunders of like, all right, I know what not to do. Second year, I figured out, I developed the curriculum. All right, this stuff really does work. There are really great resources out there. Like I said, like one of them is a NGPF, like Next Gen Personal Finance. They're great. And so one of the reasons they're great is because they're free. So it's just an incredible resource. And most financial, most uh, at the high school level, most like financial literacy teachers that I know use that. But so their curriculum is pretty expansive. And some of it's unfortunately a little bit outdated. Uh, you know, they're a nonprofit. So they don't have billions of dollars for people to be updating these things. And basically, so, you know, so over the years, let's say when I get to, all right, if I'm doing my investment section or if I'm doing my retirement or if I'm covering even like insurance, I cover insurance. 
I have to go to all these different websites. I'm going to all these different places. And I thought, you know, it would be a lot better if I just had sort of a one-stop shop, if I could put all this information in one spot. And so at this point, uh, this was a couple of years ago, because I've been writing my book or I finished my book, but it took about a year, a little over almost a year and a half. Anyway, so at that point, I'm like, you know, I wish somebody would write a book. And I think, I don't know, I hit the train late, but as far as like motivation, like, hey, you should write this. I probably should have thought that earlier, but I was like, all right, I'm going to start this. And I really just sort of plan to make like a 50 page sort of pamphlet, basically, that you can print out and just do it for my students. And then I wrote the first chapter. I'm like, oh, man, this isn't going to be 50 pages. And I was actually like kind of mad about it. Like, oh, this is going to be too long. And then I passed it along to actually a uh, sort of a member of our school community. And he said, you need to just turn this into a book, like you know, a full on book. And so I thought, okay, well, I guess I can try. And then this point, so the final product's about like uh, just over 200 pages and I've been working with an editor, but really, you know, I was adding to it as the year goes on, you know, as I'm teaching, you know, if I get to credit cards and then I'm like, oh yeah, here's the, like a resource or here's an example I use to teach in class. That's a really good one. This is what I should put in or like this idea I've seen before is really great. So it's really, I've sort of assembled it as I've been teaching. And again, the motivation just comes from if this was in one like if this was all in one place, again, we have to make it easier for students to access this information. And if we're, like I said, requiring them to do a scavenger hunt all over the internet, that's not doing them any favors. So I really wanted to put it all into one spot, one place where they can go. And essentially, if they sit down and read it, you know, I truly believe they'll have like a foundation they can build upon. So I know one of the overarching themes, Jake, and you just kind of mentioned this before this past question, but it's it's not about the coffees. Like it's it's really about that big stuff. It's about keeping the housing low, keeping the transportation low, not getting into multiple six figure student loan debt. Like making those big choices makes everything. Like you can go out and spend fifty dollars every weekend. You can get the coffees, whatever, as long as you get those big things right. I kind of love if you could talk in a more thematic way. Like how do you kind of illustrate that throughout the book? Like, do you use case study examples? You you kind of use uh, overarching themes per chapter? I'd love to just hear a little bit more about the book structure in case you have anyone out there who's thinking about giving this to, you know, their high school center. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the book structure is it's broken down into 11 chapters. You know, so I start with interest because I really, you know, that's the foundation, whether that's going to be debt or investing in compound interest, like it really starts there. Uh, I've got basic banking. And again, so it starts pretty elementary. And then it goes into paying for school and whether or not school is the right choice for you, how to like navigate the FAFSA, uh, subsidized loan versus unsubsidized loans. And so I've got, you know, 11 chapters covering the different, the various topics that I think are the most important for financial literacy. Basically, I explain them. So that's sort of the beginning of the chapter. So I explain each one. And then I've got something called how it works, where I just give an example, you know, and so it's like meet Angela. And so for example, if you're doing like the budget, I've got one with a hypothetical girl named Trinity, which is actually a student in my class. And so like Trinity is the bad example. So she's like living too large. And exactly like you said, she's spending too much money on housing. She's spending too much money on transportation. She's spending too much money on food, like the three big killers, which I you know discuss in great detail in my uh, chapter on budgets. And then I give uh, another example of Tamara, who's her sister, who has the exact same salary. And, you know, so I go through her budget and it really looks like, you know, Tamara's, she's having a great life. She's doing well, but she's also, her budget's great. Like there's not, there's no problems that she's not living, you know, she's not practicing like austerity measures. She's having fun, but she's just like responsible with her money. So I've got the example and then I've got something called personal connection. And so personal connection for each chapter, I go through, I mean, you know, fittingly a personal connection I have with the topic. And in this one, I really tried to, and it wasn't hard, you know, 
for like credit cards, I talk about how I was an idiot when I was 21 years old and like maxed out a credit card because I think that's also something that's very important to me is, you know, you get to a certain age and you don't want to acknowledge your ignorance. Like you really don't. You're like, man, I should know what a 401k is, but I just don't like, and you don't want to ask anybody. And so you just sort of you're like, well, I hope this doesn't affect me. And then, you know, that's the worst possible thing you can, that's the worst thing you can do. So I really try to sort of be, you know, vulnerable or just like put my, like, hey, if you've made this mistake, it's okay. Like, it's all right. You're not alone. Hopefully, like, you can learn from my mistakes. Like, I'm telling you now so you don't have to fall into this, these missteps that I've taken. So that's the personal connection. And then I've got another one, just uh, like key takeaways. So, you know, bullet points, top five to 10 points of the chapter, whatever chapter I'm doing. And then I've got build your skills. So it's basically a variety of questions, you know, starting with, Simple stuff like, all right, if you have $5,000 in debt and you have a 6% APR, how much in interest are you paying for that first month? Stuff like that. And so after I've given you the lessons, there's some stuff to test your knowledge. And of course, there's like an answer key in the back so you can see. I also provide some resources, you know, like uh, different calculators and stuff like that. So that's really the the format of the book. And I think it's, I think the examples, and again, being a teacher, I've really seen you know, I could drone all day about a topic, but they're like, just, just show me how it works. All right. Like, just tell me, like, give me an example of what this looks like. And so providing those, I think is really effective. And being a high school teacher, it's great because I've written these before and I've sort of, sort of tested all this. Cause like, I'll, I've used an example before and like, Mr. Coos, bad example. This is trash. Like, no, <laughs> this is, this is dumb. Or like, you're trying to be funny and you're not funny. Or okay, this one like is sincerely funny. So the examples I've sort of uh, tested with the audience, I think that those are perhaps the most helpful after you've already been told what, let's say again, back to a 401k is like, how does it actually work? Tell me how to do it. Show me like, how can that actually influence my life? You know, you caught out the part about it, it already being tested. I think that's probably one of the coolest things when you're looking at a resource like you're going to put out is that as you're writing it, you've had kind of a live audience to, to bounce these things off of and to hone it in and make it something that's really useful. So I think that's cool. One clarification thing I just wanted to see, and maybe it's both, but do you think this is a target more for a resource for teachers to use or more for a book directly to the high school students? And if it is a resource, I mean, if it's both, or even if it is just a resource directly to the high school students, like, what are your thoughts on how do you get, you know, these students who aren't in a class to pick up this book? Like, how do you get, how do you get them to get interested in it? Yeah, so I, I really do think it's both. You know, I have my network of other financial literacy teachers, and it's a very common question that we all have. We do have NGPF, which is a great site, and there are other, there are many great websites out there with plenty of resources. But there's no real book out there. And you could get a textbook. And that, again, like I don't think that's the approach. If you go overly academic, like nobody wants to carry that around. And again, I want somebody to like buy this or to have this book to just keep with them. So if they get a job and they don't know, oh, what's, man, if I do Roth or traditional, what's the difference? Like just pick this up real quick. All right, so you've got this book. Insurance, like, oh, man, what's a deductible? Like what's a premium? Oh, I could just pick up this book. So I don't think the textbook is the option, but your first question, it's 100%. I think it's a great text for students within a classroom. If you do have the class financial literacy, I think it's fantastic. And again, it's not a giant textbook. It's just something, whatever you're teaching, I'm pretty confident that anything you're going to be teaching at the high school level, like my book's going to be able to cover it. Uh, and then you also have the very important question. All right, so for those students, the vast majority, you know, most schools don't even have this class. For those students who don't have this class, how do we get it in their hands? So 
something I've done already and it's been going pretty well. So, you know, I told you I'm from a very rural, small town, just a little farm town up in Northern California, North of Sacramento. So the county is called Calusa, Calusa County. And, uh, there's one guy uh, in my town and he's the president of a little, you know, little bank up there. And I said, Hey, I would love to get this in as many hands as I can. Do you think you could help me out? And he's like, whatever you need. So I was like, I'd like to get this, a copy of this book to every grad, like high school graduate in the county. He's like, done. So I was like, oh, really? He's like, yeah, we're banks, we've been looking for something like this and we, we're not really sure how to give back. And uh, I think that sort of goes with what you're saying about, you know, these institutions a lot of time are taking a lot of money from us. So how do you do this in a way that's, you know, give back in a sincere way? So using that model, I did the same thing down here. I've just been going to banks and financial institutions and I'm saying, hey, I really think this book is going to help. I send them my manuscript and they're like, and the feedback I've gotten back so far is like, yeah, this is fantastic. This is great. I haven't confirmed yet, but the second one, it looks like it's going to go through as well. Another uh, bank down here in like the Ventura County area. looks like they're also going to place an order for a bunch for the high school graduates around here. For me, this is, I'm giving these at cost, but again, like just getting this into as many hands as possible, because I really don't think that it's going to, you know, I don't think this is going to be like a, viral trend or anything i'm not i'm not that foolish but i do think like the best way for this possibly to get into as many hands as possible is to actually have you know 18 year old 19 year old 26 year old like hey this is great like this book actually works it taught me the stuff that i need to i understand it it's not completely boring like that's gonna get it in way more hands than anything i can do like nothing sort of more uh sad or pandering or obvious than trying to market something to young adults is cool when they clearly don't think it's cool. So I don't think there's going to be any glorious marketing campaign on my end where I start a financial revolution single-handedly. You're doing awesome work, man. No, I definitely, congratulations for what you're doing. I think it's amazing. And you're right. Like being able to have that all-in-one resource in your backpack or, you know, at your desk at work when you're a young adult or in high school, that's just so invaluable. and something that so few people have access to. I know something you mentioned a wealth building is a slow process. It's not like a get rich quick. It's not overnight. You're not, you know, getting the $40,000 in one month selling stuff on Shopify, Instagram ads and stuff. But Jake, you are kind of a uh, counter example of this because if I'm not mistaken, I think you won $50,300 in one of the fastest ways possible. This is a get rich quick scheme if I've ever seen one. You want to tell us about that? That is true. I guess, yeah, I am a hypocrite in that regard, I suppose. So I did once make $50,300 in 45 minutes, the old fashioned way by winning on Wheel of Fortune, America's favorite game show. So you are right. I did win that money. But uh, for instance, I I don't plan on, I got a taste of that. And that is not my strategy to continue that process. (laughs) I'm glad that it happened, but it is not my, uh, that's not the plan I have moving forward. But yeah. Dude, how does that even happen though? You're from a rural small town. How do you get a wheel of fortune and win 50 grand? I was eating pho with my now fiance and uh, there was just wheel of fortune on in the background like behind me and I kept turning over my shoulder and I was solving the puzzles because when I was in sixth grade, I lived for like the entire year at my grandparents' house and they're old people. Like they watch wheel of fortune constantly and my grandma was a beast at wheel of fortune. So I was like, I need like by the end of the year, like I need to be able to compete with her. Anyway, so I watched wheel of fortune like every day. And then so my fiance was like, you got to apply. And then, you know, I applied, made a dumb video. One thing led to another. And then, yeah, it worked out. I'm glad that she told me to do it. As far as it was the most lucrative financial investment I've ever made. <laughs> <laughs> applying, applying to Wheel of Fortune. 
Well, you know, I did something earlier this year, kind of in honor of uh, Wheel of Fortune. I named my, uh, I had a van that I'd converted into a camper van and I named it Vanna White because it was a white van. Yeah, so. I support it. I <laughs> love it. By the way, she's incredible. If you're ever wondering, there's probably no doubt about that. But yeah, she was incredibly sweet. She's great. The last question I had is almost along those same lines, but like if there's somebody who hears this episode and they're like, you know what? I want to go talk to my local bank and I want to try to work out a deal and get them in contact with you. Is that something you would be up for? Is that something like as people listening to this, can they help you in any way get this into more hands other than just directly purchasing it themselves? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, if you have anybody out there listening is uh, connected to financial institutions, if you really want to help, again, like I, I'm not looking for a profit here. I can do these books at cost. Yeah, I mean, you don't even have to be involved in finance, but if you somehow have the means and you think that this is a noble cause, which I certainly do, I would love to speak. You know, and if it's more uh, of a local project, maybe if you're from like. Austin, for example, and you have like, man, I would love to get the Austin community, uh, the young people here sort of connected with this. I would love to, you know, collaborate some sort of partnership there. Again, like this is a, I'm very fortunate in the sense that the thing I do for a living is also a passion project. Like anybody who's sort of in the, I I guess the personal finance community, like if you've been on, you know, whatever it is, there's just such a profound impact that you know, what you guys are talking about, like financial independence and sort of digging yourself out of debt can do to people. If I can give that gift to somebody else of, you know, my own financial uh, renaissance, as I called it earlier, you know, if, if I can do that for somebody else, like mission accomplished. So yeah, if anybody has those endeavors or plans, yeah, reach out. Sweet. Well, I know we have thousands of amazing listeners and hopefully some people step up to the plate because Jake's legit. We literally hit you up the night before we, me and Grant came into your class the next day. You were awesome. Your class was awesome. So definitely can vouch for you. So hopefully we have some of our listeners hit you up, but in order for them to do that, they need to know the best places to reach out, find more about you, find more about the book. Where are the best places to do that? Absolutely. So the best way, so right now my email is just jake at htapersonalfinance.com and my website, www.htapersonalfinance.com. So on my website as well, I have um, sort of condensed the chapters within my book into videos. If you're more of you know a visual learner, uh, I do cover things like traditional versus Roth credit. What's a credit score? What are, uh, how do credit cards work? So I do have some resources there. And then I do also have a Twitter that's how to adult finance on Twitter. And is that also the name of the book, Jake? Oh, yeah, the book. I guess you need that. So the book is uh, How to Adult, uh, Personal Finance for the Real World. Jake, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's it's such a noble cause, and it's something that I know I think a lot of us in this community would love to be a part of, and glad to see somebody who's actually taking it and running with it. Can't wait to see this book in a lot of kids' hands and to see the impact that it has you know, on the generations to come. So thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us some time. Hey guys, I really appreciate it. It's been a blast and uh, keep up the good work. I really appreciate it. Again, on behalf of everybody out here who's working to you know sort of spread financial knowledge. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thebuyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening.